Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second season of Snailcast. I'm John, your host, and today I will be joined by Maddox and Maya. And we will be talking about what makes a game cinematic. Well, today we have the lineup of three different games. We have brought to the table the 2010 hit Halo Reach, The Last of Us, and Maya, what was the name of your game again? <laughs> what Remains of Edith Finch came out in 2017. So we've all brought our game to the table, and we're going to have a little battle out on whose is the best. For starters, do we want to give a little synopsis of each one? The Last of Us. It's about a man who brings a girl who is immune to a zombie virus and takes her to the hospital where this group called the Fireflies is trying to come up with a cure, all right? Now, Joel doesn't like it because this girl is gonna die in the end if they go through with it. He's like, mm-mm-mm, and then he kills everybody there. Yeah, very dystopian, very zombie survivalist. All right. Halo Reach is, it's the halo of Halo. It begins the story of Halo. You play as one of the members of a super squad of humans, and you have to fight some badass aliens. You're part of a superhuman team that consists of six people, and you're fighting aliens to save a planet, and in the end, you both lose, but also win. What Remains of Edith Finch is a indie walking simulation game. It's first person, and you play as Edith Finch, 17 years old, and it's the first time she's been back to her family's house in seven years, and you basically walk through each room, like super crazy rooms, and as you walk in, you discover the character who lived there and you become them and you play through their storyline as they die. And so it like uncovers this idea of this curse that was put on the family, but really only the family believes it's a curse. Okay, so we've brought all our games to the table. Now let's ask the question, which of these three is the most cinematic, the most good moments, explosions or really intricate parts where you're like, that looks really cool, or it sounds really cool. I think cinematic comes down to shots and music, and so I'm going to put Edith Finch out on the table because of the way it's designed and the cutscenes that you play as the character are so intricate, and like the songs they use as well really put you into the moment. I know especially with Gregory's story, when it's it tells the story of a baby, and he drowns in the bathtub. During it, they like play the waltz. I feel like the way it's shot is just very cinematic. Mm. That's, that's my, to the table, my cinematography soundtrack. All right, Maddox, what would you say is your most cinematic part in Last of Us, both one or two? Well, I think the most cinematic part in one and two I, li I like the part where Abby is like getting ready to go after her boy toy or whatever his <laughs> name is. She is with, is coming out of this building and there's this big sunset in the background and there's these buildings that are like set up 
uh, to the left and right, and then a Ferris wheel in the middle. And it just illuminates, like, mm-hmm. everything. And it's, it's, some, it's something cool when you actually see it. And then there was music when it was playing. It was, like, almost this banjo bluegrassy, but it almost, like, was, like, really pretty style of mm-hmm. it. I think I Last like of Us has a lot to bring to the table with cinematography, especially because mm-hmm. they just released a whole TV show mm-hmm. that is, like, now known for its cinematography and just, like, how it was constructed, directed, and stuff like that. So I, I'm going to put myself out there. I think Last of Us is probably better than Edith Finch when it comes to cinematography. <laughs> Me, personally, I have not played either of the Last of Us games or watched the show, so I don't really have much to say for that. But I will say that Halo Reach has some great cinematography in it because there is one part where one of the characters explains that he has to sacrifice himself to blow up this massive, you know, capital ship. And instead of being, like, from a third-person angle, it kind of uses camera-like, so it uses, like, the cameras on the ship that brought the bomb in, or the cameras of the inside the capital ship showing your character being brought and tossed off the ship. And then as you're falling down from orbit, it's all from your point of view. It also cuts away to like military satellites showing the explosion of the capital ship. And then after that, more capital ships arrive, which kind of ruins it. But it uses that satellite grainy technique to Mm -hmm. kind of show those capital ships flying in. I feel like... That's a really tough tie than cinematography between Halo and Last of Us. I honestly kind of want to give it to Last of Us because of the adaptation and also just because you brought up the Abby moment. I was thinking of the giraffe moment. I feel like there's so many different moments that you could equate to this perfect cinematography, this perfect shot. And yours has a lot of cool shots, the way you're talking about, like the way they layered music and screaming voices and static and stuff. That sounds really cool. But I kind of want to give it to Last of Us because of the amount of moments there I are. can't argue with that because yeah. I have seen some clips of, like, Last of Us, especially I think it's the part where everyone at the beginning is running and there's mm-hmm. explosions and stuff whilst you're playing the character. And that part I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of, and it is just jaw-dropping yeah. how they do that. Yeah, especially episode three. It was amazing. Bill and Frank's story, I, like, mind-blown. If we were to throw out the comparison idea... What do you think is the best storyline in a video game? I would have to say I still have not looked into it, but I would say just from how you said it, Maya, that the story of Edith Finch, or what it was called, I think I got that right, Mm -hmm. is that sounds really interesting how it's not just one story, but it's multiple stories combining together to create Mm -hmm. one big story which just sounds like there's so many intricate moving parts that sounds really interesting. The Edith Finch one's very crazy because it's... You're sitting down playing this game and you don't even understand how the creators found these metaphors for these games. Especially the craziest one is Lewis. He's 20 years old when he dies. He's the main character's, um, Edith's brother, older brother. And you can tell from his room, he has a lot of posters of, like, 
drug um, paraphernalia and things like that you can tell that he like smokes weed and he does drugs and he's like he's like that kind of like whatever but you also see on the table a um a letter from his therapist saying that like he's been dissociating and struggling and as you're reading this letter the words start to like fly off the page and you become lewis who works at the cannery factory and you're sitting there and you have to like especially if you play it on controller one of the controls moves his hands and one moves his like imaginary like um his imaginary world and so you're trying to battle um moving his job at the fish cannery of slicing fish's heads off at the same time as you're trying to move his little character through this like perfect idealized world that he has where he is the king and he rules the castle and he gets the girl and he like all that kind of stuff and as you get further into the storyline of um his perfect world you lose vision on the cannery and so it does end up with him it's like it's proposed that he kills himself on the cannery kind wow. of thing and because of this like long hunt standing of like um issues with drugs issues with the mental health and then also He's like, this is my only way to escape into my perfect idealized world. Doesn't he, like, cut his own head off? With yeah, the, so the idea is the, the cannery is that the fish head cuts, and then you finally end on this moment where he's walking up to get his crown, but the crown is actually a guillotine. Wow. Yeah. Morbid. So, Halo Reach... It's the beginning of the Halo thing. There's no Master Chief. There's no there was there's a little bit of Cortana, but there's not many main characters. And as you're going through it, more of Reach is being destroyed by these aliens, but also at the same time more of your teammates, people you're working with are getting killed one by one. One of them sacrifices themselves. Another one gets killed as you're trying to make it to the escape. And by the very end is your character physically taking off their helmet and fighting and you see it from the one angle looking at the helmet and you can't see your character's head and you can barely tell what's happening but you just know what's happening then after the entire credits roll it's the same shot but in the future everything's regrown and your helmet is still there the last of us i one and two oh man i love where they start out right at the beginning with Joel. Or, well, with Joel's daughter. And basically, it shows that they have a very close bond with each other. And then they're escaping. They end up leaving their home because they were so close to the city. They didn't want to be around any uh, the zombie outbreak. And as they're going, they get into this crash, and there's just this big cinematic shot of all these explosions and running and all these zombies just eating these people. And then they get to a man in drab, an army dude, right? And he just kills Joel's daughter. It's insane, the emotion that it just sends you through. And then it goes on where he becomes this courier. He ends up meeting this girl that he's told to deliver for a deal for guns. But at some point he develops the this bond with her, almost like a father-daughter bond. It ties to the beginning because if you don't realize, I've traveled across the country with this girl. She is basically my daughter and I'm just gonna lose her like this. 
Mm-hmm. It's like I wanted to say goodbye. It's like mirroring images of the very first scene that you're put in. Yeah. yeah. And then it's crazy because in the number two, after it shows how like Ellie and Joel's bond is fading due to her finding out that he took her out of the hospital mm-hmm. trying to keep her instead of finding a cure. But it also shows because once Ellie sees Joel in front of Abby with a golf club and his face half caved in, it shows that she still really cared about him even after all that. And I love how the whole game is just drawn on with this story of revenge. Ellie going on looking for Abby and killing all the people that took part in this murder. And in the end, Ellie still showed mercy towards Abby. It's a really cool one. Also, in The Last of Us, so many like intricate ones. Because when I think storyline, you can focus on Joel's grief, or you can focus on their fighting. I think there's a lot of differing storylines that come together into this overarching meaning. There's a lot of bits and bobs that mm-hmm. we skipped over there. Because yeah. there's just too much. There's just so much, yeah. <laughs> That's even the same with mine. Like, I wrote down on my notes all the characters' deaths because they're all so strange and they're all so important because you're looking at it through the mind of like very often someone around the age of 10 the viewer now can understand what the actual death was but through the eyes of a child it's sort of imaginative the very first um one you go through is molly's and she imagines herself becoming all these different animals until finally she's this big long like serpent snake squid demon thing and she eats herself she goes back into her room and eats herself you can understand due to like things that you were happening before that she doesn't actually do that in a real life scenario what happens is she went to bed hungry without dinner and she ate random things around her room and she got poison in and she hallucinated a little bit and then she passed away from poison that's what you can understand but through the eyes of a child she's a shark and an owl and a snake and a bird and eaten eaten crew members off of a eating boat crew as, members as off a of squid yeah <laughs> uh yeah definitely you guys have brought up both points that are really good and honestly, I feel like out of all of these, we can't really pick one. They all have their pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Like yours is dark and gritty and mm-hmm. tells multiple stories. And yours is like a loving daughter and father bonding through like an apocalypse. And mine is like a just trying to survive mm-hmm. and help these innocent people. Yeah. Come I think the crazy thing about us trying to compare all of our games is mine's a, what, four hour walking sim indie game. And The Last of Us is 20 plus 40s, like a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours walking simulation game. And yours is like a fighter shooter game that I don't actually know much about. It is a shooter (laughs) game. It's a shooter game. game. And it's like, while they all have, they all are very, very different to each other. And so it's hard to pit them up against each other. So in that case, it really depends on the audience to Mm -hmm. pick. And with that, we conclude the video game segment. Next up, we'll be handing it over to interviews with Ezra. Oh, yeah. He's going to go interview some people. It's going to be sick and rad and awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen to it. And uh, let us know which of the three video games you like the most. Hello, and welcome to our first edition of Controversial Conversations. 
I am your host, Ezra Hernandez. Today we'll be talking about the politics around the Great Salt Lake here in Utah. Today I have with me Ollie and I have Jacob, who will be my guests for today. So just to start off this conversation, I would like to ask Ollie first, what do you know about the state of the lake right now? I know it's a lot less full than it used to be like a few years ago when I was a kid. And Jacob, you got anything to say? Yeah, it's a lot lower right now and is increasingly getting lower. Okay, so we all know that the lake is drying up, and today we're going to talk about the politics as to why. Now, what do you guys know about the politics? How do our politics affect the lake? Ollie, I'll have you go first. Well, I know industrialization obviously has a lot to do with it due to pollution and global warming, uh, drying up the lake, making it less full. Industrialization and colonialism. I'm sure if we did things a little differently, if we regulate... um, factories a bit more it could it would probably be a lot more full okay jacob you got anything to say yeah so a lot of it actually ends up coming down to people's lawns too because that's true so much water is just used up on the lawns especially since we're like a desert it needs to be watered way more than a lot of other places some places like arizona have gone into rocks and stuff but we're still using grass it needs to be watered a lot and then people also would just fight over these waterways yeah if i may add on to that um my family, recently we moved to a rock lawn. It looks uh, really nice. We're using a lot less water and losing a lot less water, uh, you know, consequently. I definitely think we should either use natural stuff that's, you know, indigenous to Utah or just rocks. Okay, to add on to that, I was doing a bit of researching and although lawns are a huge contributor to the, the, to the water loss, I found that 68% of Utah's water, that's the state of Utah, goes to alfalfa farming. And 68 is a lot of water. Uh, Most of that water is supposed to go to the lake. And to continue with that, alfalfa farming only makes up for 0.2% of the state's income. So it's a pretty massive waste of water. And also larger corporations that are using up our water as well as ourselves. Which I, I would like to continue with my third question. Is capitalism or colonialism or both to blame for what is happening to the lake. I don't really think that it's the big factor in here. It has some say over it, but no matter the how the government's run or entirely where people are, people are still going to fight over the water and it's still going to end up being used, especially as our population continues to grow. We're just going to have to use more and more water. It's mostly the fact that we're in a desert is what makes the biggest difference. Ollie? I think it definitely has something to do with it. Maybe not fully, but definitely a big part because, as Ezra stated before, it's, what, 67%? 68% of the state water. Yeah, 68% of the state water is used for alfalfa farming. I don't even know what an alfalfa is, so obviously it's not that important. And it only makes up 2% of the income. That is... 0.2. 0.2, sorry. That is too much water loss for not enough money or jobs. You know, I think if we reduce that number, we could definitely try and reverse the um, uh, effects that happened on the Great Salt Lake, but at least try to help make it less uh, environmentally damaging. Okay. To continue this, I would like to continue this question further because it's um, probably the largest part of the section. As well as only making 0.2% of the income as well as taking up 68% of the water, is actually one of the most profitable businesses in Utah right now, 490,000 acres of alfalfa growing in Utah. 
which roughly equals to over $48 million per harvest. And yet it only um, is 0.2% of the state's income, which is because it is private corporations which are profiting from this. Would Jacob like to say anything on that? And it's kind of interesting. So money is coming off of it and they are ending up buying that water. So it's in a difficult position as how should you restrict that without having to restrict other things as well. Uh, Ollie, got anything to say? Well, what was it, 0.2% of, uh, of the profit, yeah. Yeah. That's not a lot. We could pro- probably be doing something a lot more that's uh, doing a lot less damage to the environment. I'm not a science geek or whatever, so I, I can't say what, what we can do, but there's got to be something. Like, we could put more into, Sorry. we can put more into, like, renewable farming or, you know, healthcare. Jacob, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, the amount that is being made is going to end up enriching a lot of the economy around it, no matter what. But it's interesting how much water is being used compared to some other methods that could earn a lot of, of money. Do you have an explanation for why they don't use greenhouses? Yes, I do, which I'll get to, and then we have Ollie. So the reason why they use so much water is that they actually... If they don't use a certain amount of water by the end of the year, then they get given less water. So what they do is they use as much water as they can so that they get more water next year. Ah. So they have a quota to meet. Yes. See, that's the really hard part is that they're not using as much water as, like, is actually needed. They're using more. And they're in this loop that they can't really get out of with the current system of water distribution. Okay, all you guys, anything to say? I'm sure if we try hard enough, we can get out of that loop, you know? I think we can get out of that quota. You shouldn't have a quota to meet where your water gets taken away if you don't meet said quota. You should just be able to use, you know, however much you need, the minimum, or um, the good amount to have a healthy crop. Which again, 0.2% of income is probably not worth it. I'm sure we can make, like, a lot more money, less cost to the environment. Utah is a beautiful place, and I don't want to see it like um, turn into Mars, pretty much. Okay, so the problem among the problem is that the government could help, and they're using excuses. The reason they haven't done anything about the main problem with the lake being the alfalfa farming is because they are considering anything to go against such businesses as socialist acts and thus they do not want to enact anything against the alfalfa business so considering that the government isn't going to help anytime soon unless they are absolutely desperate and the businesses are definitely not going to help what are perhaps some ways that the people just like you and i can possibly do to fix this the best we can well what do alfalfa companies mainly produce besides like alfalfa what do they produce alfalfa for for anybody that didn't know alfalfa is not eaten by humans alfalfa is a breed of hay that is used specifically for livestock and dairy feeding so their business isn't in selling to food corporations it's to selling to livestock and dairy corporations which in turn also is not good for the environment so it's all water that us human beings don't even get to have in the end. Outside of the government and corporations, what can the people of Salt Lake City or even 
Utah do to help with this crisis? One of the things we can do that I've seen happening more and more is we can convert our lawns into rocks or bark, something that doesn't have to be watered. Oh, you got anything to say? I gotta say, I'm not very much of a... I'm a, I'm a pessimist, right, when it comes to this sort of thing. I don't really think petitions work. They're just going to keep on doing what they're doing. Like, they don't really care what we say. But we could at least try to do something like that. But we could definitely try and do something like boycott alfalfa. Because there's definitely other solutions. We can, like, get it from some other state that doesn't that's not a desert. Or we can, like, farm up in the mountains. For our viewers, I have a couple examples of how the people have been trying to fix this problem. Native Americans here have been ritualistically pouring water into the lake as a statement. Although it's not going to be enough to save the lake, I do believe that our statements do have impacts. Another example might even be from an unexpected place. The Church of Latter-day Saints has donated 20,000 acre feet worth of water into the lake. And if you are in the Mormon church, or if you are in an organization asking for these things, do have a purpose, and us fighting for these things do have an outcome. And we as the people, when our government and our corporations do not do it, we need to fight for these things ourselves as well. I would like to say thank you for listening, and we are going to pass this section on to our music section. I hope you all have a good day. Thank you, Ezra, for the warm welcome. This is... Music moment. I am Oliver, accompanied by Gabe and Giovanni. Giovanni. I will start by Green Day's new album. The members in the band are Billy Joe Armstrong, who is the lead guitarist, vocalist, and producer, Mike Durnt, who plays the bass and the backup vocals and Trey Cool on the drums and percussion. They are signed with Reprise Record and Rob Cavallo. Um, when asked about what Saviors is about, um, Green Day reached out to the Grammys and said, it celebrates the essence of the band and the years spent together. Um, they're going to go on tour Thursday, May 30th, 2024 to Saturday, September 28th, 2024. Um, says Live National Entertainment. And all of the band members are 51. Their first album was 39 slash smooth, released in the early 1990s. Um, the popular alternative rock band has become popular since then and grows in popularity with the um, new release. Um, I'm going to hand it off to Gabe. I'm Gabe. This is Music Moment. I'm with Oliver and Giovanni. Um, and I'm talking about if you should take Raplet. Um, you might be asking what Raplet is, what it teaches you, or how it would benefit you. Uh, what do you guys think? Is Raplet the best elective? I think, I mean, it could be, but it just needs some improving. Like, um, 
the presentation, sometimes people get anxiety. So like we should like host like tiny presentations like around people so they could get like that nervous out of them, like that anxiety out of them. What do you think, Oliver? I feel like there's a lot of assignments that go into Replit and those can pile up pretty quick. Um, if there was less assignments, the class would be even better than it already is. Um, and it would be a really amazing class to take as an elective. You were both taken. Um, so what do you got, what do you think Raplet teaches? Like, how, what does it teach you? I think it teaches like the art of music, like the lyricism, like rhyming, similes, just stuff like in basic English, just that rappers, and, and like the meaning of their songs. Yeah, yeah. It um, uh, it dove into like a lyrical analysis, and um, really like looking at the lyrics and uh, what they mean and how you interpret them as um, as just how you do. Um, do you know what any other LA electives are. Uh, yeah, we're ta we're taking one right now. It's called podcasting. I mean, it's pretty cool right now. It's just like you get you get like nervous talking into a mic, but you get like over it pretty quickly. I think podcasting teaches a lot, or can help build like social strength to like with conversations and just talking. What do you think, Oliver? Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. It definitely helps with social skills, like uh, talking to others, starting conversations, um, and trying to keep conversations going instead of like uh, ending them really quickly. Do you think you, between you two, your two opinions, do you think you should take Rapplet or a different elective? I mean. If you like music or like you want like to try music, like to hear it and like the meaning behind it, I feel like you should take it because like there's lot there's lots of meaning in these songs that rappers put into them. There is, yeah. Um, uh, I'd say yes, you uh, should take it if you're into, like you said, music, like rap. Um, or like punk rap, anything like that. Um, there is definitely other classes to take, but I would say this one is uh, amazing. I like it quite a bit. Yeah, it's I just think. one thing that Mr. Maurer likes to do. He likes to, like, he likes Jake Cole a lot. I'm pretty sure that's his favorite rapper. And he just likes to, like, make him perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Should you take a different elective, like just like a whole other elective? It really depends what you're into. Like, if you like bikes, you should take bike shop for sure. If you like talking into a mic, podcasting. If you like listening to music, rap late, and I think astronomy is one too. If you like space. That's for you.
I think a better way to ask that question is, what do you think Rapplet has to offer? Uh, I'm pretty sure that it uh, has an ELA credit if you take it a full semester, but I'm not sure of that. I'll be handing it off to Yovani, and he'll be talking about rapper drama. Hello, my name is Yovani, and I'm going to be talking about like rapper drama like, towards that, just like stuff that's happening in the rap industry. So first we have Young Thug and his court case, which is about like a RICO charge about his like organization, which is... Hold on, if I remember, it's like Young Stone or something. I'm not too sure. But, yeah, and I also have some, like, questions about, like, if Kanye's daughter should be in his album or, like, should rapper stop, like, saying stuff like, oh, I, yeah, I killed this person or, yeah, or I sold this type of drug to, in, like, in their music because uh, what's happening with Young Thug right now is just that they're, like, using his own lyrics against him, which is like, in my opinion, like unjust and not fair. Cause he could just be like, he could just be like making all this stuff up and like not really mean it, but they're just hitting him with this recoil charge. And that's it for music moment. And we're gonna go on to game show with Zeke, Finn and Eddie. Thank you so much all of Gabe and Giovanni for that wonderful segment hello 60 standard podcast listeners and weird people outside of America listening for some reason I am one of your hosts Finn Michael with my lovely other hosts Zeke and Eddie I'm Eddie and today we'll be giving you a lovely session about game shows tonight for today's game show we have Eddie going on a contest to see who that teacher is we have five questions here related to the teacher question and we're going from harder to easier every time he gets one wrong we have to get an easier question for him. In fact, for every question coming up, so I hope you like listening to that. Without further ado, let's thank our sponsors, the Wells Waldo Audiobook. Thank you so much for sponsoring over the episode, and let's begin. All right, Eddie, so for our first fact about this mystery teacher, we have the most interesting thing this teacher has ever experienced is that they were caught in a blizzard in Iceland. Who do you think has done this? Remember, they all listen to this as we speak, and we'll be grading your next assignment. Who do you think has lived through this in our school faculty? I would probably say maybe Miss Wilkinson. Unfortunately, that is wrong. I am so sorry. Even though Miss Wilkinson, I don't know, her, seems very tough and very proud, I don't think they can survive a blizzard in Iceland, unfortunately. Alright, for our next fact, we have this teacher would want to take intro to design with Mr. Hamilton if they could choose any class here at Slixie. And if he gets us wrong, we'll grab the Nightmare Creature Tarticolo and the school catacombs will eat him. I would say maybe Mr. Splane. Mr. Splane unfortunately has not wanted to take intro to design yet. He may get in the future to it, make us a custom t-shirt of Autograph the Devourer, but not yet. The day is not coming. The fog is still gone. Now here's an unfriendly reminder to hate all competition, the Pepper Ground Town Music and All It's Boarding School Slug Podcast, P-G-T-M-A-A-B-S-S-P for short. Break those windows, boys. All right, for our next fact, we have this teacher's favorite part about living in Utah is the multitude of national parks here. So, Eddie, so, who do you think loves nature? Who do you think goes outside in this school and who just lives in the basement? 
I would say Miss Hobush. Miss Hobush is a good answer. Bush is in the name, but unfortunately that is incorrect. That is incorrect. It is not Miss Hobush at all. I am so sorry. Like our cousin Billy, he you will be lost in the Grand Canyon after this recording. Alright, this one should make it a little easier, but their hobbies include hiking, basketball, and playing the Legend of Zelda series. Which, fun fact, Legend of Zelda has been around for 38 years, and yet it has 29 installments total. So, Legend of Zelda, basketball, and hiking, right? Yes. Hmm. Maybe Mr. Carl? Mr. Call is unfortunately incorrect. I am so sorry. Let's see. Anyway, going on. We have another question for you, okay? They have said publicly that their favorite teacher on the whole world, anyone else, is Mr. Merrill. Now, this may be based on how well they do their job, how they know them personally, or any other factor. We will not tell you this. Here's your mind, though. Mr. Merrill is the tyrant of the Pickles Kingdom and is currently marching his army to the other tyrant-controlled ruby mines. This battle is going to result in multiple high-stake casualties, so everyone hiding in those caves will be prepared for a total wipeout. So, it's a teacher, or it's a... Do you want your mind on what we've been through so far? No, 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 I remember. I, was just, mm, I would say probably Mr. S. Mr. S is correct, Eddie. I'm glad you got that. We have, well, folks, we will now be hastening going to the store after this recording to find him a price appropriate for getting off second level, I think, right? That we had more question left? Uh, yeah, no. yes, I think. So we will be scrambling in the mines quickly to find as many candies we can get that would be appropriate for getting everything but one question wrong. So thank you so much, Eddie. That is a pretty hard game. And we hope to see you soon. Anyway, we thank you so much for listening to this wonderful podcast. We'll go ahead and go to the other host later. Thank you so much for listening, and go ahead on to our other podcast segments. With our next host being left on today, being Isaac, Dom, and Angel to end you off. Thank you so much, Game Show. Thank you, Zeke, Finn, and Eddie, and I hope you had an amazing time there. And today, we're talking about baseball. And so what we're going to talk about is the 2023 draft. And today I have with me my co-host, Dom and Angel. Say hi. Hi. What up? What up? And Dom, I'm going to ask you a question. Who was your favorite, like, person that got drafted out of, like, all the 2023 drafts? Um, Paul Skeens out of LSU. Yeah, I like that. What about you, Angel? I would say my favorite MLB draft is Max Clark out of high school. Amazing player. Yeah, I really like him, too. And yeah. then... I, I would say my favorite player is Dylan Cruz out of LSU. He's so he's so sick. Like I saw a clip of him the other day, and before he transferred to LSU, he had like a huge home run off Paul Skeens, and now they're teammates. And like Dylan Cruz isn't even that big. Like he's six foot two hundred five, and most people think like baseball players like six four, two twenty five. And he's just not like you know what I mean. Yeah, I have a question for you. Question for you, Isaac. Yeah. Um. Who do you think was the best player to come out of the draft? I think the best player to come out of the draft, me personally, I think Paul Skeens is going to be like, I think he's going to be good for like three years, maybe. And then I think he's going to be a bust. But I think it's really Dylan Cruz because the guy is just so good at hitting. And I don't think outfield's that hard. So, and he's a center fielder. So, I think, yeah, Dylan Cruz. What about you? I think Max Clark or Dylan Cruz. They're both good, solid outfielders. And... 
the LSU commitment, like he did very good in LSU. They won a national championship there. And Max Clark was just a very good high school student and player. He had good grades and he just has a stick. Yeah. My only thing was Max Clark. I, was, I know he's going to be in the minor leagues for at least three years, right? But I don't think he has the experience. I watched a documentary about him. Even with his high school, still rolling over like a ton. He would beat the balls out from like the ground. And he had a couple home runs. So that's the only thing with Max Clark. But I do really like him. Yep. And Angel, who do you think was like the best? You know... Isaac, I actually completely disagree with you. I think Max Clark, you know, too drippy. How many home runs has this man hit, you know? Right, he's had a lot. Too many. Yeah. Too many. And too yeah, many I love many. his pink leg guard. He's pretty sick, huh? Yeah. Too drippy. Yeah. And the pine tar that he puts on the bat, too. Yeah, he, he, he uses so much pine tar. <laughs> it's like so much. That thing's almost covering up half of the barrel. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But then apart me with Paul Skeens, I do think he's going to be the next, like, almost Randy Johnson, even though I just kind of crapped on him. Cause he is six six, like he's a tall guy, two thirty five, like, yeah, and he does throw one hundred and two. That yeah, that's very true. So honestly, Isaac, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Who do you think will throw harder in the future, Max Clark or Paul Skeens? Cause in a high school, Max Clark was hitting ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, as a high schooler. That's what I was honestly thinking. Like, I feel like Max Clark should really focus on uh, being a PO just like Shohei Otani, because Shohei Otani throws a hundred miles an hour and hits absolute nukes. And Max Clark in high school was throwing 97 on a daily basis. So, to be honest, long-term, I think Max Clark. Short-term, Paul Skeens. Because I feel like Paul Skeens, he is a starter now. But he should be a closer. So he, they could preserve him a lot more like Heroldish Chapman. Yep, I do agree with that. And Angel, like, do, who do you think? Do you agree with me and Dom or do you disagree? I disagree. $9.2 million doesn't just come out of nowhere, you know? Paul Skeens is a long-term solution for the Pirates. And not you guys are talking about short-term. I completely disagree, guys. Yeah. But I I think, I mean, yeah, you have a good point. Dom, do you think Max Clark or Dylan Cruz or even Paul Skeens is going to get traded? Because Paul Skeens, Pirates, Dylan Cruz, Washington, and then Max Clark, Detroit. I think, Max, I think Paul Skeens is going to get traded from Pirates, like, honestly think Paul Skeens is going to go to the Angels, my personal opinion. Oh, I think they the Reds. Well, they just, the Angels just lost the best pitcher in the league right yeah. now. But, sure. the, but the Reds, you got to think the Reds are like rebuilding and they did it insane last year for not for not, no one was thinking they were even going to be something and now they have in God squad with Paul Skeens if they put him up there. True. Because I think they'll pull Paul Skeens this year. Yeah, I think Paul Skeens is going to be probably starting at least by All-Star break. No, no, 100%. Dylan Cruz, I would give him... Honestly, I think this year, I feel like maybe end of this year, like next year. I think I think he's going to stay there for a little bit. Yeah. Like maybe two to three years. So Max Clark, I think he's going to go end up to a bigger organization after other teams get to see him in um, AAA and AA, in my personal opinion. I'm going to... Like, do you think he's going to field and hit? Um, I like, I think I think he's going to be more as a DH. I think if Detroit makes the playoffs, he's not going to hit at all, but they're going to pull him up to base run because of his speed. Do you agree, huh, Angel? I agree. I yeah. completely agree. That man's speed is untraceable. Yeah, he has. A, I think he runs like a 4-4. Four, four. Dude is insane. Yeah, so that's why I only think he's going to go there just because of his running abilities, but I don't think Detroit's making it. 
Yeah. yeah. I don't think. There's yeah. no way. I think all three teams will make it this year. I think it's going to go through a whole rebuild. Yeah. Dude, I w- I'm so mad about, like, the three worst teams get it. I feel like the three best teams should get the first overall pick because they did the best. The worst teams should have to work their way to be the best to yeah. get the best overall pick. Especially with the Rangers winning the World Series this year. Right. It's just very – like, if Paul Skeens went to the Rangers, I think he would already been called up. Right. And then – just like the Yankees, too, because the Yankees are, like, the best every year, and they still suck. So what does it matter? Yeah, not too, because they only have Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. And then, like, say – I feel like Yankees are probably going to trade for Paul Skeens. I would, it wouldn't I would surprise think that. me. Yeah, it would not surprise me at all either. All right, guys, now that we've talked about the MLB draft, who's going to make the World Series? You know, we talked about the Pirates uh, considering trades – and everything like that, but who is going to make it? This year, I honestly think it's going to go to the Dodgers because there's just stacked lineup. They just signed Otani for $700 million, and they have a good defense. They have a good offense. They can really I disagree with you 110% because they have – okay, I get they signed the best dude ever, right? And I think he's going to have Tommy John. But – oh, and Yoshimaru, whatever the other dude game for Japan. Yeah, but – uh, 2020, a Mickey Mouse ring, not a full season. That ring should not have counted. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they haven't won, like, one. I guess they have won sometimes close, but I feel like they're always, they always choke in the season. Me, personally, I think Rangers are going to go through a three-peat, or two-peat. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me that either. They're How just about you, so good. You know, I completely agree with Dom, actually. I think the LA Dodgers are way too stacked for anyone to beat them, and I just see them going all the way, especially with that yeah. 700 million, you know. I think it's kind of sad because Dodgers have such a high pay gap and the Angels have, like, a $10 million they can yeah. spend on players. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah. like, that's so sad because I don't even know how long it's going to be until they get a World Series. Probably until, to be honest with you, if Mike Trout leaves. Mike Trout needs to leave to go work his way to go get a ring. My yeah. personal opinion. Because Mike Trout is just staying there for the money at this point because mm-hmm. how much he's getting paid. Yeah. Yeah, I feel so bad for Mike Trout. I feel like mm-hmm. I mean, they might do this. I don't know. But the Dodgers, if they get Mike Trout like end of season or like midseason during the trade deadline, that would be a stacked team. Yes. I think that's all we have to talk about. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find us on Spotify and at slicksy.snellcast.com. You can find us there. And uh, we'll p- be posting every episode on Thursday. So see you then. See you next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you.